Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Peacock Streaming. The biggest sports and live events on the planet. Touchdown. From Super Bowl 56. What a game this is. To complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. Streaming every event, every day. Yes! It's all the unprecedented. United States wins gold. Unstoppable. Sensational. Unbelievable. Sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Right. Um, oh, here's Matt Candela, finally. Here so, he um, is. Here he is, Matt. Here he is. Has your mum got the link? Has your <laughs> mum got the link? <laughs> Uh, I couldn't come to London, but she can listen to the Arsenal Opinion podcast. <laughs> yeah. What a, what a deal. <laughs> that is like a, a son who who's just not doing his son duties anymore. And he's <laughs> very much like, you know what? Um, I'm not going to be able to be there. But yeah, check out my podcast. Download, like it. Yeah, cheers, mum. It's like I'm there in the room. Mirror man, mirror man. Good morning and welcome to a new edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I have COVID, so it's it's not it's not a lack of enthusiasm. If you're watching on video and you're wondering why my beard looks absolutely disgusting, it's because I've been shut in a room. I have to use a, a mask to go to the bathroom. Uh, I'm stuck in my sister's house. I'm stuck in a spare room. Uh, um, I, my, you know, my family has been really good to me, but that didn't stop me. I, and you know what? This was absolute punishment because I was like, you know what? Like I've dodged the COVID for um, for two years now. No way I'll catch it going to two you Arsenal thought, games. You thought back you were untouchable. Back. Thought yeah. I was untouchable. And you know what? I wasn't. And you know what? Those fucking anti-maskers that sit on the train, like for shame. For shame. Anyway, we're not here to talk about uh, my views on COVID and masking up on public transport. We're here to talk about Arsenal versus Sunderland. Arsenal moved to the semi-final. Patino scored a goal. It was absolute gravy out there. So to all the 20,000 fans that turned up there today to take a dose over Christmas, it was joyful. Um, But before we get into the show, Johnny, uh, I heard a rumour that you did a bit of an appearance today on one of the largest sports radio stations in the UK. Tell us a little bit about that. Guilty as charged. Uh, yeah, no, a bit of Five Live today, which was nice. They gave me a little buzz. And they said that they wanted, you know, someone who could represent Arsenal fans' opinion. And they couldn't find him. So I got the call. And that's fine. <laughs> uh, a very niche little nook and cranny of the Arsenal community. But yeah, you know, I managed to slip a little dig into Tottenham uh, whilst on the show as well, which I was really pleased about. And, and not least, I don't mind repeating it for you, that um, we were obviously having to make our choices as, at, at the end of last year as to whether we wanted to finish above Tottenham or in, end up in the conference. 
And, uh, you know, we did. We all underestimated how difficult that conference was because obviously Tottenham have crashed out, crashed out already. And, and it's good to remind people that they are in a ball of flames from Europe's, Europe's Johnson's Van Trophy or whatever it's called. You know what I mean? Like lowest of the low. And Tottenham couldn't even get out of the group stages. So, uh, yeah, um, that was a nice little touch before we even got stuck into the game today. And Matt Candela, um, we're going to say it again. Uh, welcome to your mum, who is who's <laughs> tuned in. I've met your mum. She's a wonderful woman. Uh, first time on the show. Um, she's probably going to be trolling you in the Twitch comments because you didn't go back to London uh, this Christmas. And the reason you didn't go back to London is because, like me, you might have got COVID. So uh, probably a, probably a sharp decision for the for the health of the family. Well, as soon as I saw that Johnny was worried about going and getting COVID, I knew that uh, we were in trouble. <laughs> a, tri- <laughs> a trip to, uh, but but yeah, it's um, it, England feels like I think you've described it as Plague Island. Um, it is not Plague much, Island. Not, not not much better here. Um, but yeah, it's good to have my my mum on board. She was uh, she was she was hounding me for the link. She was like a, but she's also a fervent Arsenal fan and has been had a season ticket for many years and has seen a lot of Arsenal. So uh, she knew some like, big people at Arsenal, Matt. And she's not going to think that she's going to understand what's going on. She's not going to think we're speaking Russian or something. But she she, Although, she she knew some big people at Arsenal, right? Yeah, she was. She we we had a season ticket for a decade and uh, and she, she yeah some of the some of the glory years. So. Um, I remember her. T- I remember when she gave up her season ticket. It was actually around two thousand and five, and and I said, "Why are you giving it up?" It's actually great timing. Could have done fuck all since, um, but uh, but <laughs> one Cold, of her comments, effect, Matt. Cold yeah, exactly. You know, we, we want to plot a graph. <laughs> Get her down there now. We want to win summit again. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, and it, and it sort of stuck with me. And she said to me, "She goes, you know, the thing is." it just felt like the players used to be such characters. And there were these like great stories of like Tony Adams and Ray Parler. And you could have, you could see a whole sort of story arc of redemption and, you know, Tony Adams. I mean, just, just watching Arsenal and seeing him go from, you know, being called a donkey to half volleying a league winner in at the North bank in 97. I mean, that is what, what a story that is. And I think by 2005 football would just become so much, business and to make it as a footballer you you need to lead an incredibly perfect life you know you you're basically recruited age two and a half you're then like put through the academy you don't have you don't there's no chance to 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 go off the rails or or be out with the Tuesday club so um definitely a different era definitely we've we've seen it now the it's the world of business right it's it, it Arsenal is business that's the way it is now and certainly hunk back for for some of those some of those old days but you know some of those old glorious older days was when Arsene Wenger would roll out the kids in the league cup and you know Carlos Vela and crew would smash the opposition 5-0 with football galore and um and yeah it was uh it was great to see today right well, I'm glad your mum is on for a good one. She doesn't have to see Johnny play up and, um, and Matt work <laughs> the crowd. So we've got something joyous to talk about today. Um, so why don't we just dive right in? And Matt, because your mum is on, we're going to go to you today for the uh, hottest take. 
Oh well, um, I mean, we we were talking for a bit in the in the first half, but I feel like football's got fun again. Um, it has been bloody miserable for a couple of years, and we've all questioned the process. We've all questioned if we're on the right track. We are annoying Arsenal fans. Like there is no doubt about it. We we ride the highs and the lows. We're 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 as fickle as can be. Um, and and I really want to remind ourselves of how we were behaving a couple of weeks ago. And it was only that when we when we lost to Everton. But we are seeing more and more this sort of new Arsenal team. And guess what? It's getting fun and exciting. And Johnny has been calling for attacking coherency. And you know, it's beginning to happen, you know. Uh load of goals today, you know. We're just it's not just scraping the one nils now. And it reminded me a little bit going back in time of when we won the league. I mean, obviously we're not going to win the league. So, so let's not say that, but when we won the league in 97, 98, we had something like nine, one nil wins in a row and we just ground them out. And then we found our form and then we just started giving everyone a beating basically. And so it just feels that we're just getting a bit more confidence in our sales. And it's great to see the second string come in and, and be knocking on the door. So just, I'm absolutely loving it. Johnny, uh, Arsene Wenger never won the League Club Cup with Arsenal, but he always made it fun. And we had a, a you know a patch where you get to see the new generation of kids coming through, and they'd absolutely decimate teams that were in the divisions below. Um, is it fun to watch Arsenal again? And also, what's your hottest take? Um, so yes, Arsene Wenger never won this trophy, and I always did want him to win this. It, it, it infuriated me, l- leading to the absolute apex of that frustration in that loss against Birmingham. You know, I, it, honestly, that is one of the results more than anything. That I, I it, it still works now. There's a scar inside me. Um, so yeah, let, let's get realistic. It is fun. It is fun watching this. I, I'm excited to see it. I even, I was excited to see Charlie Patino's name on the um, uh, in the squad list before the game. And obviously, we'll get onto it in more detail. But wonderful to see him come off the pitch, uh, come onto the pitch, I should say, and uh, register for, for the club, you know, in a big game. And there can be no end to the confidence that will give him. It's not a guarantee that he'll end up as a top, top talent, you know, you mentioned a few names there, and not least Carlos Vela, Matt. Who, I mean, if he if a player was ever judged on their League Cup form, Carlos Vela was genuinely one of the best players in the world. He was doing stupidness every game, dinking people, hat tricks every round, but yet never could quite make that leap into, uh, you know, being a, a major player in in a, a Premier League level and European level and. I, I, as I say, all I'm all I'm kind of stating with that point is just that it's a wonderful situation with Patino, but let's try and keep grounded with him. Let's not ordain him, you know, the saviour this quick. But no. I guess I'm ripping up some of our potential uh, <laughs> narrative for later in the um, later in the pod. We we maybe do want to get uh, onto that and, and ordain him. But anyway, um, to speak further on the fact that football's fun again, I do agree when we talk about. The attacking um, coherency that I've lusted after for so long, it is starting to bear fruit. I'm seeing it now. Um, There are new combinations of players that are coming in and adding new interesting possibilities even. And and, and players are turning up and if not banging down the manager's door saying, start me, play me, they're at least saying, remember me. You know, hands in the air, (laughs) remember me, you know. I don't know what impression you can make beating a League One side like Sunderland, who 
fought gamely, but the reality is, is they are not of the pedigree that we are, and they shouldn't be. And too often, we flirted with sides like this in the past and made them look better than what they are. We gave them what they deserve today, a walloping. Get back down. You're not at this level. Stay out of our business. We're moving on. Semi-finals, here we come. Can we cause bother in the competition? I hope so. But at the end of the day, there are characters who we didn't necessarily expect to lean on. The likes of Eddie and Ketia, who, who we thought was going to be a best a bit part player, had a wonderful day today for all of his shortcomings and, you know, overall inadequacies potentially of filling that role long term. We might be needing to lean on him for a number of games in the running of the season and a hat trick against, yes, a lower league side. It won't do him any, any, you know, no end of confidence. And as I say, we might need him for two or three games where nicking an odd goal might be hugely important for us. So, I, I've got to be on. I've got to be honest. I do think that in recent times, over the last few games, I don't completely agree with Matt in terms of us being so fickle. We're fickle because we're inconsistent. You know what I mean? It's not like we, we're getting the same kind of stuff. And one day we want in, one day we want out. Against Everton, that was shocking and not good enough. And we won't accept that. But it does feel like something's actually shifted for the first time. And I know we've said this before, but. <clears throat> I, I've been I've had my questions towards our attacking play answered in a way I haven't, you know, it, during previous positive spells. And so I'm more optimistic about this one that we may actually be part of a process that one way or another will bear some fruit. And that is, you know, grounds for celebration. Well, I'm uh I'm in agreement with everything that you're both saying. Uh, my my big takeaway, and I, I don't know whether this is grounded in any sort of reality, but I kind of feel like it would have been harder work last year, even against Sunderland. And my big takeaway from the game today was every single player that was on that pitch looked like they wanted to be there. Every single player looked like they were playing for the shirt in the Norwich game. And I think we, you know, what was reassuring and what I definitely don't think we had last last season was players that are first teamers playing like they're in the first team and players that are second stringers playing like they want to be in the first team. Hmm. And and I think that that's a sign of a healthy club when everybody's putting it on the line. And look, I, 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 was, I was furious with Nicolas Pepe in the first half because it was just a very typical performance where you get a little bit of everything. But fair play to him. He came out in the second half uh, and he made the difference. You know, he made, he, he made it look like he was two or three levels above. Um, and I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. That was a joyful game. It was easy. It was an easy night. All the fans that, that showed up there go home um, excited to be in a semi-final of a cup. And now what? We're three games from uh, from 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 a cup, which is all you can ask for um, at this stage in the season. So, why don't we just move straight on to um, some of the topics? And I I I, I do want to go. Um, no, let's go firstly into uh, my new trademarked term. It's Emmy regrets. Uh, that's when you lose um, a player that you're not sure about, and then they come good, and then you're looking at them every week because they're doing you know keeping clean sheets. Um, Eddie Nketiah was our best player in preseason. He looks like he's bulked up. He's got his man strength. Uh, scored a hat-trick today, a great hat-trick. He is the fox in the box Arsene Wenger was looking for all those years ago. Um, Johnny, are we going to regret 
letting Eddie and Ketia go? And is there, you know, are we finally seeing the true potential of the England under 21 record breaking goal scorer? Um, right. Well, first of all, I do want to reject the characterization that uh, with Emmy Martinez, we were unsure about him. We weren't unsure about him. I weren't unsure about him. I don't think you guys, I mean, we knew he was the nuts then, didn't we? And it was a shame that he went. But there we go. Eddie, on regret, the other hand. Emmy regret still works, though, right? I mean, Oh, you've got your trademark, mate. You know, you've, you spent all that money on the patent <laughs> and, and, and the trademarking. So you, good luck to you. I'm sure there's going to be a range of T-shirts and other novelty items for sale over the Christmas period. Um, but, yeah, no, um, we'll, we'll go with Emmy regrets. And the reality is that I, I think that Eddie Nketiah is in a different... He's in a different pot to Emmy Martinez in the sense that we have these days, don't we? And we have these days where Nketiah can go and just bang in a hat-trick against the League One side. And do you know why that is? Because he's better than League One level. But he'll also play against good teams in the Premier League and he'll show you that he's just not quite up to it. I do actually think that he could, in terms of my kind of view and my judgment on where I believe Nketiah is. I think he is a bottom half of the table Premier League player or a top half of the championship player. And he will not break 10 goals in the Premier League. I don't, I think in the championship, he might score 20 goals and look like someone who could tear it up in the Prem, but never quite have it. I do think that um, I, I uh, appreciate that point you made, Pete, which I, I kind of looked at today and, and I'm in agreement with you. He does look like he's got bulkier and he looks a bit stronger. He looks like he's going to be less easily just bullied, quite frankly. But, it, I mean, let's be honest, this is not, you know, Adi Akinbayi rolling off the bench. He's not He's not a tank. He's still relatively slim and relatively, um, you, you know, easy to throw around by big, bustling defenders. But I just don't think that, Nketiah does anything remarkably well. He doesn't do anything, you know, he's not a sensation in any facet of his game outside of potentially his finishing in and around the around the box. And listen, you can be successful at that level. But, uh, people in Inzaghi got to the very top of the game doing that. We've seen a number of poachers and famously Francis Jeffers was not that fox in the box that uh, Nketiah uh, is proving that he can be. But I, don't, I think at this level, for the type of game that we play, we've just seen the kind of apex of a fox-in-a-box striker who, you know, is camouflaged as a pacey striker in Aubameyang. And look at him in our setup. He's miles better than Nketiah, but he does all the cute things that Nketiah can do in and around the box. And he can't get in the team anymore because he doesn't work. So I think that as much as Nketiah can have these good performances, and he may prove useful to us in small doses when we need to lean on him towards the end of the run-in. I don't think there's anything that a game like this will do to prove that he has a long, he's a long-term solution in this team because I just don't think his game is rounded enough and excellent enough for what we need at that end of the pitch. Matt Candela, why can't Eddie Nketiah be Arsenal's Divock Origi? Um, look, I'm... This is this is my point of view on Eddie, and I think um, I think he was great today, and I think he's a, there's a decent player in there, and I think he could be really really useful to Arsenal, and I also think there's been I mean who would want to come into this team over the last eighteen months? I mean it's been terrible as an offensive player to come in. There's been no creativity until last Boxing Day. We didn't have anyone 
we had Danny Ceballos and Granite Xhaka as our creative force in midfield, you know, and then we bought Smith Rowe and Erdegaard and, you know, we've improved since then. But you can't really judge him on what he's done because he's feeding off scraps. Um, and today he's beginning to show what he can do. And I think he can have a good back half of the season and really and really, and really, really push on um, at the club. Um, but I want to look at it against a different backdrop, which is if Arsenal are going to be successful long term, then we have to get way better at selling players. Like, that's just the way it is. You cannot be a top club unless you're unless basically you're City. Even I mean Chelsea are brilliant sellers. They're, they're mm. the best in the league at selling players, and they make mistakes. Salah, De Bruyne, Lukaku, three high-profile ones. But generally speaking, they, they they recoup a lot of money for those types of players. And for us on a self-sustaining model, we have to find ways to sell players. So this is absolutely the best case scenario, that he comes in, that he makes a few people think that maybe he'd be really good for Arsenal and that he gives his he gives his his value a little bit of a bump. And people will go, oh, but he's off on a free transfer in the summer and his contract's up. But because of his age, it's actually going to go to a tribunal to see how much he's going to get. And that tribunal is going to judge us far more favourably. And I've heard of a figure of around 10 million, potentially, based on precedent of the fact that he's great goal scorer for the England under-21s. If he ends up with seven, six, seven, six goals, seven goals, we're making money on this guy in the summer and making people rethink it. So um, let's see what we can get out of him this season. This season, Let's try and get more money from the tribunal in the summer. Who knows? Football changes really, really quickly. If he scores five goals between now and the end of the season and we offer him a new... Uh, he might sign a new contract. We never know everything. The door is never is never shut in football. So um, we'll, we'll see what the Eddie and Kessie story. Would you give him minutes in the Premier League uh, with without a deal signed? Is it the same as yeah. Lacazette or is it different? Well, I think that um, we'll give minutes to anyone who can get goals, right? And I don't, I don't see him as as being even like a first substitution in in an offensive uh, way. But if we're if we're if we're if we're behind, or we need to give players a rest, he could be an option as a third striker. You know, um, so I think he's done a done a really really good job, and I think you're also looking at him against the backdrop of Balogun, and he seems ahead of Balogun. So I think every we're all we're all thinking Balogun is the future, but you know he Balogun doesn't look to have Eddie's composure. Uh, Don't make me segue perfectly into the next section. Oh my word, uh, follower! I can't say his name. I'm too I'm too COVID heady uh, today. But Balogun got his chance. Uh, he played out wide on the left. Um, for, from my perspective, it was a bit of an anonymous performance. Again, he looked a bit weak. He doesn't look at the at the level uh, needed for Premier League. He didn't really look like he was at the level of Sunderland today. Johnny, is that the reason that he's not getting uh, you know minutes in the Premier League at the moment? And how far has he got to go to get to the top? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You know, I think uh, we've we've all come to the same conclusion about Balogun based on today's performance. He he looked um, well unimpressive, quite frankly. He looked like he he didn't look terrible, but he just didn't. You've got to go out there and try and make an impact when you're playing against a team that are two leagues down. I want to see your superiority shining through. You know, at the end of the day, Charlie Patino's eighteen. He's coming on for ten minutes and scoring. 
You know, you're meant to be a guy who's knocking on the door wanting to be our future starting striker. This is Sunderland, mate. Rough them up. What? Let me see it. Let me see something. You know, and I do think that he's kind of looking like a an Eddie of a couple of years ago. And it looks like Eddie has developed a little bit more composure and a little bit more belief. We hammered home this. Um, it, it becomes almost visible sometimes. You can see it. It is it is palpable when a player starts to understand that they're no longer just a kid breaking into a team. And actually, I'm better than these guys. And they and we a great example was with when Smith Rowe seemed to you could visually see the change in his body language and his and his attitude on the pitch when he stopped being like, hey, I'm just excited to be here, and, and suddenly started going, I'm better than these guys. Let me just start banging goals, you know, and 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 just causing carnage. And Nketiah, at least, this is the credit I would give him, seems to be now at a stage where he's like, my future at Arsenal is not guaranteed anyway. It looks as though I'm going to be moving. But what I do want to do is move to a Premier League club. I want to, you know, stay at this level and prove that I'm ready to roll. And he looks like he has stepped into that... Um, you know, that mental state where he is ready to, you know, prove himself every time he gets on the pitch. And I think that Balogun showed his naivety on, on that front because we know it's not a talent issue. We know he can do this and we know that he's better than anyone at Sunderland, but he didn't look like it today. And that's what he has to get better at being given, you know, it's not fair football all the time. Sometimes you only get a few chances, but when you get your chances, you have to take them. You can't be, you know, chatting breeze to someone in a bar five years down the line just being like yeah could have made it never given it no no you're given a chance this is it this is going to shape your career you've got to take these opportunities and of course he'll get more with more than more uh, cracks at the um more bites at the apple than the Sunderland game today he will do but there ain't going to be loads and loads of games that he's going to get look at Eddie we're all ready to wash our hands of him ultimately and he had what, probably a season and a half of getting bit part games every now and then and some good League Cup runs. And then at that point, we need to see more. So, Balogun, you know, it's over to you, mate. We, we're we all kind of behind you, but we've all, you've also got to deliver better than what you delivered today against a team of that quality. Matt, um, you know, we talk about Emile Smith-Rowe, uh, but Emile Smith-Rowe did a, a, a stint uh, at Leipzig and then he went to you know went all the way down to Huddersfield and we were wondering whether he was going to make it um Harry Kane has done multiple loans you know uh notably at clubs like Millwall uh Ben White went to Newport is it just a case of Balogun needs to go and slum it for a little bit go and you know spend some time with Chris Wilder in Middlesbrough or do you think that there are deeper problems problems um I, th- I think it's exactly that I'm 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 sort of a little bit frustrated because I think we made a mistake by not getting him out on loan this season. And then we had a chance to get him out. I mean, I mean, we've got to get, well, maybe we have, maybe, maybe there's still a chance now, but we've got to, we've got to have set something up for the second half of the season. He can't stay at Arsenal for the second half of the season. Not because we don't want him. It's just a waste. He just needs to get games under his belt. I want him to go somewhere really cold, really horrible. Like I want him to be like near the, the, Mid to lower table in the championship, really grim every week. People like just just all the tricks in the book, play some surly old professionals and have to figure it out a bit. Um, and I think he's got the ability to do that. So he has to do that. You can't 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 have him hanging around in the back half of the season again. And now we're in the semi-finals. 
you got to play your best team and win the semi-final because we're going to be playing someone good. There's no more. The, the League Cup for youngsters is is almost over. Um, and so one of the complaints about Arsenal is just how bad we are at some of the stuff around around the first team, like bad with loans, bad with selling players. And like it all sounds like on the periphery of the first team, but actually everything is interconnected. And like we have to get way better at loans. We have to get way better at selling players. We have to get way better at putting people in the shop window on a loan so we can then sell them. We need to not be letting people in a position where they've got six months on their contract. I mean, why didn't why have we not added a year to Eddie's contract now with the aim of selling him this summer? That was that's poor management. Um, but but yeah, I, I'm still feeling good about Balogun. The one thing someone said to me is, you know, you really need to get lucky when you're a young player. Like, come in and score a goal in your debut just changes everything. I mean, Eddie did. He came on, didn't he, and scored 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 a goal on his in in, a, in his first minute. But Patino did it. You know, you always feel like whether it be luck or skill, the players who really go on and make it, they do it early on. They get that goal in the debut and then everyone's, it gets it gets people off their back. It buys you some time. Whereas now everyone's looking at Balogun. He's barely had any time, but we're already going, oh, it was shit against Brentford. Uh, very quiet today against Sunderland. Oh, um, not sure he's the one. And that's the way football goes. It's brutal. So he's now under pressure because he hasn't scored in two games that we've seen. Um, so... Yeah, I think I think I think the fact that you know Arteta and the team see him day in day out, and the fact they're ready to get rid of uh, get rid of Eddie um, speaks volumes for how, how how much they think of this guy. And you see him in the under twenty threes where he feels more at home, and he's 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 beasting them. He's absolute. He's, it's it's it's, yeah. it's disgusting. Yeah. Well, the you know, if you wanted cold, there's strong rumours that he's going to go and play for Middlesbrough, where Chris Wilder has recently joined. Good progressive manager. Um, not not too high in the table where he won't get minutes and not too low in the table where he won't get minutes. So um, fingers crossed for that move. But yeah, I, I agree with you. He's got it all to play for, but expecting him to be doing things right now is maybe a little bit too much. OK, we're going to move on to the next topic. I know Johnny is chomping at the bit because he wants to talk about the many faces of Nico. Nicolas Pepe had a first half to forget, even though he scored. And then he had a second half, which uh, pushed him into the category of some of the commenters, uh, man of the match, um, uh, award winner. So, Johnny, what's going on with Nico? What's going on with him? Um, Tell us. So, the reason why I was quite keen to get him quite high up the order for this pod is because, well, there's a couple of things, but we'll go firm as we go, I guess. So... You know, it's a, a quite a nice segue in terms of player analysis from uh, when we're looking at Balogun. And we're talking about a situation where two players at not necessarily opposite ends of their career, but certainly at different stages of their career. And we're also saying that they're playing against a team that you should flat out be able to manhandle and show a, a separation in quality and class. For Nicolas Pepe, he has obviously far less... A uh, 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 room for manoeuvre against a team like Sunderland than Balogun does, who can put it down to naivety. But so, so, and I say that, say this, because the the idea is that in a game like this, Nicolas Pepe can't prove himself. He can't prove himself because it's a game we're expected to win. And the biggest flaws that we have seen with Pepe recently, or or ones that we would hold over him, are that he's mentality is essentially not right in big games he goes hiding he's a kind of player where you could put a big challenge in on him and he'd 
go, you know, go missing for the rest of the game. And so it was a mentality issue. And quite frankly, you're not going to be improved that you're combating those issues and overcoming them against Sunderland at home on a Tuesday night. You know, he's, he's, he's set up two goals with some filthy skill and scored a goal. If that's a great going in any match co- contribution, that is good. But because the level of the opponent, the opponent, we can't over celebrate his impact and therefore couldn't start to ask the questions, is Pepe ready to start challenging for first team honours? But the thing about Pepe is that, uh, uh, first team places, I should say, the thing about Pepe is that so m- he has a real ardent fan base, the, pe- the Pepe pound, the Pepe dogs, you know what I mean? The absolute little puppy pound. They really stick up for him all the time and they're constantly chiming at us on Twitter. Why aren't you giving Pepe more love and things like that? And I, I, I saw something today that maybe, maybe could provide a solution to getting the best out of Pepe um, in a way that I hadn't seen before. Because quite frankly, I haven't, I haven't thought that he, uh, you know, has a route back into the first team at the moment. Certainly not if all of our players stay healthy. But what I what I previously said about other players is that sometimes it takes a partnership. It takes a player playing alongside you to be able to get the best out of you. It's why I've championed Lacazette through the middle up front. But also, it's why we look at our centre-half pairing and both of them, Gabriel next to Rob Holding and Ben White next to Rob Holding, looked far shakier than when they played together because... They give each other confidence. And all these partnerships that are emerging is one of the things that I am getting the most enjoyment out of at the moment and getting the most confidence out of that our form may persevere. And the reason why I bring up partnerships is because what I saw from Erdegaard with Pepe today seemed to unlock something in him, despite the lower opposition. It was The reason why it was important is because what I saw can be projected out to better teams. And that is that with the improvement of Erdegaard's game, who we should also get onto shortly, you're talking about a player who has excellent technique, excellent vision, and the ability to play instant passes, quick passes out. And he found Pepe a couple of times when the ball was put into him, and he found Pepe was hanging on the shoulder of a defender with a quick pass out that got Pepe running and turning the the players in behind, and it basically brought Pepe alive. So much of what Pepe did well in the second half in particular was because Erdegaard was in and around him, finding him quickly. I think Xhaka might have caught him for one as well. But Erdegaard was finding finding Pepe with passes that not many other people in our squad, if anyone, can actually do. And I think that Pepe may be able to make a case off the back of something like this, if it continues, that... The reason why we haven't seen the best out of him is because we simply haven't had the players to find him, give enough, give him enough service to get the best out of him and his attributes, which are running in behind. You know, he's very pacey and he can finish when he's in those one-on-one situations. And so if there is any intrigue left in me for Pepe, it's should we have a maybe when when the opportunities arise that are appropriate, can we have a look at him with Erdegaard playing alongside him? And will that get more out of him in terms of productivity? Because suddenly you have a partnership, you know, I say it tongue in cheek, a, uh, uh, you know, a Burkamp Henri, where, you know, obviously neither player is nowhere near that level. But, you know, that kind of dynamic where one can find the other and suddenly you have 
you know, a, a product that is better than the sum of their parts, percent potentially. Matt, do you think Nico deserves another go with another, another set of players just to make sure, just to really be certain that our £72 million signing isn't a, an absolute mess? What well, do you, you know, there's a, there's a quote that I like, though, which is, and it's, and it's like, it's not the despair that will kill you, it's the hope. And the thing about Pepe is there's always this hope. You know, he did it today with with a, with a, with a, some really great players. There's always this hope that maybe he could come good and turn into the player that we thought we'd sign. Um, and you know, he had he had a good game. But I think the thing for me is he's had so many chances that he has proven himself not worthy of more of more more starting time. Really, so the only real case I can make for him is, and I, I, we were chatting earlier about it, but. The one thing no one can knock the guy about is he's got end product. Like I don't know how he does it. He can do. He can be terrible, but he can he can be terrible and get a goal and assist or get a brace or hit a free kick or and he's, and he's a really really good finisher. So the closest example, and again, this you know uh, Johnny was just doing uh, Henri and Burkamp, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make it bad as well because I'm gonna go. The closest example I can think of is someone like Kanu where you're down a goal and, you know, you're 1-0 down, it's a packed defence, and you just throw someone on to cause carnage who can finish goals. And and, and, and and I think that's the Pepe role. I think you bring him in when you need a goal because he's way more likely to get a goal than than an Eddie, really, or maybe not anymore. But, but, but someone like that, even one of our midfielders, the, guys, the guy has end product. So, you know, I think I think what we've got to hope, we've got to keep him interested. Um, and then and then and then hopefully he can chip in some goals when we need him need him most. But unfortunately the, the ship has has sort of sailed for me on on a first teamer. Um but again, like I said with 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 Eddie, we need to learn how to sell these players. If he gets a few goals, I mean he got one of our most goals and assists last year. But you know, good back half of the season, sell him to someone. Be wonderful. Newcastle. <laughs> We're trying to sell everyone to Newcastle. They're going to be Arsenal Mark too. Uh, but wouldn't it be great to get like thirty odd million for for Nicolas Pepe? What a, what that would be an incredible deal. Because the worst thing for Pepe has been his price tag. If he was a twenty five million pound player, we'd all be like generally okay with him. It's just the amount of money that we paid for him that has has skewed us. You know. I think I think the most I think the most difficult and frustrating thing with with Pepe in general, it's like he's obviously not consistent enough. I, I think he really gets pocketed by major teams, and uh, you know we have this idea that maybe Arsenal could just pump his value. Do you remember when Arteta came in and he was playing Mustafi and Jacker, and we were like, "I oh, just pumping their value so someone will buy him." I think Nicholas Pepe earns about one hundred and fifty thousand a week. I don't think we're going to move him. I think he's very similar to Lacazette. I think the only hope that we'd have to move him is if he just wants to play football, which um, it does seem that he does. I mean, the, the, the one thing that I do like about Pepe, and I think Surfer Rosa, who's in the comments, uh, said he is working hard. I, I don't think he's. I don't think he's bad because he wants to be. You know, I think it, it's just. I don't know whether he can hit the heights. I'm not sure. How many the, years of his contract? Is- how many years of his contract has he got left? Do we do we know? Feels like we've got about five left, but I'm hoping it's I'm hoping <laughs> it's not that bad. 
I think I'm uh, I think I'm I'm being absolutely grilled by Toff Taylor. Poor Pepe, he's a lovely little boy with good intentions, <laughs> <laughs> telling me to grow up. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Um, a player that I do want to talk about, I haven't got a banner for, but I want to move swiftly on to one of my favourite players at the moment, Martin Erdegaard. Um, he had another good game. Um, there was a uh, there was a lot of talk about him, you know, being the only dud signing of the summer. Uh, those balls that he was playing into Pepe tonight. I mean. Johnny, is it fair to say that he was absolutely tormenting Sunderland in that second half? I think Arteta took him off to, to stop the mauling. Um, what, what do you think about um, Erdegaard growing into his position as Arsenal's chief creator? I thought he was disgusting. Honestly, I thought he was top, top tier. Like, when you see, when you play games like this, and I know we're having to contextualise it based on the level of the opponent, um, and we keep having to repeat that, but it is important to to know how much appreciation to dish out. And what I want to see from our players, particularly starting players, is um, an ability to go against, up against a team like Sunderland and basically be able to set, set yourself out, set yourself apart from that level of quality. And just, I am superior to you. And I thought that Martin Erdegaard looked like a different class of player to everyone on the pitch today. He looked a different gravy. You know, when, and it's been a long time since we've necessarily had players. I guess we would have done it at times with Obama over recent years, where you have someone sitting on the bench that, you know, when, when we're resting a first teamer, maybe, and you know you can put them on and they'll change the game, a la maybe a Fabregas back in the day when he was playing every game under the sun and he'd come on and whack a free kick in the last minute. That kind of quality, it's starting to make you feel that Odegaard, obviously, he's playing against Sunderland. They're not the best. But the way that he's stepping up, the way his his graph right now in terms of his level of performance is increasing at a very, very high rate. It's not a slow build for him. He looks double the player he was last year for us. And it, it, it excites me to think that this, what we're seeing now, is not even his ceiling. He's still improving because I think... You know, I guess when we when he first came in, we were like, what was everyone so excited about? Not to say he was a bad player, but what was everyone so excited about at Real Madrid when he was first signed? Like, this guy was talked about like a, a serious prodigy around Europe. And then we've seen a player who's good, but not necessarily unreal. But now we're starting to see things of, oh, you've actually got world-class tendencies. That's what, I, that's what I'm seeing. He's obviously not a world-class player yet, but there are things that he does that are at that level. And and it gives me encouragement he could either get to that level or something close. And that would be amazing for us to have a player of that level. Because one thing we know as Arsenal Football Club at this stage, we can't buy a ready-made player in that position who is a world-class creator. We can't afford one, you know, or, or we maybe could, but we're up against so much competition. So to get one who has the potential and grow them into it was the only real way we were going to retain quality uh, players of that quality for over a longer period. And I'm really getting encouraged that Erdegaard may well be not only, you know, the most value for money answer that we could find in it, but actually the best solution to the question that we had of who will be our creative, you know, hub in this Arsenal setup. Matt, outside um, just the creative side of things, we know that there's there's been a lot of stuff leaking out about uh, Odegaard being a, a top professional and a leader behind the scenes. Arteta said in the week that he's almost the perfect professional. 
Um, do you think that just adds weight to the excitement that, that we've got around him, that we've got a player that is kind of a full circle, excellent player all round, like the sort of the sort of player that we haven't had? You know, we get bits of creativity, bits of leadership, but combining them together in a, in, in a player that can do it all is a bit special, right? I think it's great. Um, I think last season there was one game against West Ham where he just dragged us back and we all saw the player that he could be. And then he got injured and didn't really get to get back to any level after that. He sort of just, just tailed right off in the last couple of months of the season. So, but I think that West Ham game stuck out because it, he ran the game. Uh, and I think we all could see that potential and possibility. And, and he's beginning to live up to that this season. I think you can't also underestimate the fact that this is a guy who knows who he hasn't had a home for years. Uh, he's been out in the cold. He's been through the ups and downs of football already, and he's still really, really young. He's been, oh, you're, you're the new Messi. He's been at Real Madrid, and then he's been on loan with living, you know, it's it, it's not, not been ideal. So I, he wants to grab this opportunity with both hands. He doesn't want to be a second-tier footballer. He wants to be a top-tier footballer. And so all of that is just like, I mean, it, it was that was the way Arsene Wenger built the original Arsenal team with Vieira and Henri and Burkamp. He found players who were having a tough time at clubs, whether it be Monaco or Inter Milan or, 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 or whatever it might be, and gave them a new opportunity. And they had to take it because if they didn't, then they're basically not top-tier players anymore. They're like second level. They could still be internationals maybe, but they're not. They're sort of on the periphery of that. And I think that hunger and drive rubs off on all the others. Um, and he's 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 a great leader. So um, I'm more and more excited. And you know, it's not been easy for me with Smith Rowe out of the team. Uh, only got <laughs> stepping in. Uh, I'd be honest if I said I hadn't taken it a little bit personally against Odegaard. Uh, <laughs> but um, right now, you can't argue with the decisions. So um, I love. Um, there's a comment from um, Abhishek Sengupta who says, "Do you think in time Odegaard could move into a Zabi Alonso role?" Would allow Smith Rose to play 10, Martinelli left wide fullback and Saka right, right wide fullback. I mean, I'd love to see Martinelli centre forward, um, but I think this is an interesting, uh, an interesting take on this. And talking about those passes out wide to Pepe was, you know, you could see him in that in that deeper role. And remember that one of the reasons we were a little bit cynical is we were scarred by Danny Ceballos. Uh, we thought that guy was going to be the answer. Uh, and then two perform two good performances in twelve months, and <laughs> we realised he wasn't. So seeing some consistency from Erdegaard is is great. You know, uh, like I, I think you two have covered off the talents of Erdegaard, Johnny. I love it when you call a player disgusting. Uh, we should get that on a t shirt at some point. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the the thing that that does great me, and I'm in a bad mood because I've been sick for a few days. But, you know, like you just think back, you know, we signed six young players under the age of 24. They've all given um, their futures to us this summer. Odegaard has a few bad games and he's being written off by the fan base. He's being called average, a bum, dusted. And I just think, you know, like when are we going to stop giving so much um, clout and attention to people that just want to say extreme things um, to, to, to raise their follower numbers? I mean, how wrong has have certain parts of the internet been about these players so far this summer. Erdogan's come in to play against Sunderland. He's put in an absolute worldie of a performance. 
Um, and he's, you know, he, he's lifted the team on numerous occasions this season. Um, he's, his work ethic is absolutely relentless. He's obviously showing leadership capabilities behind the scenes. I just, I just hope that as this team gets better and it stops being eighth, you know, eighth place times two, and it starts to be uh, top four contenders, we give these young players um, a bit of a bit less flack when there's uh, the odd game here and there. And look, we're guilty of it. That that Everton game still gives me nightmares. You know, I don't know where it came from, but when you look at the youth that's coming through the system, and you look at the way that the Emirates crowd has just lifted all of these players. I mean, I, I, I know for a fact that Arsenal players, a lot of Arsenal players didn't like playing in the Emirates last season and were worried about going back to um, to Arsenal fans this season. But my word, the, the fans in the ground have shown up like West Ham when I win. It was absolutely rocking. All those fans that turned up despite a virus today to watch Arsenal um, smash Sunderland. Like it's just a different vibe, and I think it's um, there's a bit of hope. There's players like Erdegaard that are going to put in a performance, um, whether it's cold, whether they're getting kicked around, um, whether it's a shit team they're playing against. Um, and I, I just love seeing the support in the ground. I love hearing it, and I just think I, I just wish that Arsenal fans online would be a little bit more like that, a little bit more forgiving. Because look, we know that um, William was not anybody's favourite. Uh, for a whole host of reasons and you know the way that his agent brought him into the club but it's a little bit it's a little bit grim to hear the the social media backlash against him made him want to quit the club three months in I mean we shouldn't really be proud of that sort of behavior and I know some people are and I just think you know he's 32 he's won it all it doesn't really matter he's got you know 250 grand a week but these kids coming through you know if they're not quite right we've got to be good to them and we should be good to them online and we should discourage the bad behavior that went on this summer because these kids are delivering for us. And I think it's in a large part because of the support that they've been getting across the board home and away this season. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be fair, though. I think to be fair, I think we are very generous to the Highlanders. I don't think there's an issue there. No, I'm, I'm, no in, I'm talking in the in the stadium. In the state. Uh, amazing. I'm talking about the you know hounding Aaron Ramsdale before he joined the club. I'm talking about sliding. Yeah, into but these I, players, I, I forget. Deals. I've said sorry for that. I have said sorry for <laughs> Ramsdale. He's so, even, you you've know, even got a song for him. I, I mean, I love the. I couldn't love him more if I tried. Now, to be fair, so you know, me and Aaron have we moved way past that. Stop dragging us back into. And we and we and we noted and we noticed the difference when he's not there today. Does, does, Leno looks like a mute. He doesn't say anything. Oh, I know. Oh, uh, yeah, 100%. I, I will just say on this as well, um, before we... I, I think we should talk about Leno as well, but um, I do agree with you, Pete. I think I think the... And, and I definitely agree with the fact that, it, you know, as a general kind of uh, a rule of thumb for fans that are, are commenting online, like, you know, try not to be a twat. Try not to be overly abusive to people, even if they're players. But on the same note, I won't overly sympathise with someone like Willie and you're getting paid it. And, and there are, of course, certain comments that I would have absolutely, I find abhorrent and they should never, there's no place. But if there are generally people just saying, I think Willie and shit, well, you're getting paid a lot of money, mate. You know what I mean? If, if you don't want to be called a shit football player, there's loads of other people who will give it a go. And so, you know, there's a little violin playing as well at times. And I do think that we do need patience, but... The issue to, again, further contextualise this is not just about getting the backs of players 
And I think we do, again, to reiterate, we do need to be kinder to them. But they were coming into a very volatile club at a volatile time. And there were a whole host of questions around the manager. And so Erdegaard ended up being a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a poster boy for Team Arteta. He was signed by Arteta. He was certainly, you know, part of the vision. And I think people were a bit hostile to him because they were actually hostile to Arteta and his vision. And so that's why he kind of caught a bit of a rough end of a stick sometimes because I think it was actually angst and anger geared towards Arteta, really, rather than Erdegaard himself. I do think that overall as fans, we are relatively patient and especially that gets amplified with younger players. But, I, you know, your overall messages of, you know, being a bit kinder, Leno talks about it as well. Like, is it online? Just because you're online doesn't mean you have to be a twat. Like, calm it down. You know, they, they are people at the end of the day. Very true, uh, which is why we're going into the next comment, uh, which is a bit inflammatory. Uh, <laughs> which backup tonight is giving you nightmares? Um, I know, I know, Cedric tries his best, and I know Leno tries his best, but let's be let's be straight honest here. Um, you could see the golfing class between Leno and Ramsdale today, and I'm I'm having hot sweats before I've even gone to sleep, um, thinking about. Uh, Cedric back in that position for any uh any extended amount of time. Uh guys, did did they um did they worry you as much as they worried me tonight? Do they look um busted flushes or um am I over exaggerating uh because I've been dining off of um the fine wine that is Ramsdale and Tomiyasu? I just think the funny thing about Leno is we didn't even realise that we needed a replacement so much. And then today I think there's probably a confidence thing. It's probably not high on confidence, but so quiet, so little communication out. And he made some good. He made a couple of decent, decent, decent stops there. Um, and and I think we were joking in our WhatsApp group earlier, which was, you know, that's that Sunderland goal. Like it's easy to just see it and then go, actually, uh, nothing you can do. You know, nothing you can do. But the thing about Ramsdale is he makes saves that he has no right to make. He's so much more in control of situations, so much more alert. I'm not saying he would have saved it, but I'm saying uh, we're a much more defensively, we're much more reactive than proactive when we've got Leno. We're waiting for something to happen and then we've got to rely on him to save it. Whereas just the, the constant communication just makes me feel so much more confident. And then you can't underestimate the impact he has on the team around all around confidence. I mean, the guy is um, hes always about three millimetres away from an absolute howler. But, you know, he's hes so confident. And I, and, and I feel that even when there isn't a big error and a big mistake, and it will happen, that it's not going to bother him. And, he's, and you see it with the best goalkeepers. They, they very occasionally make big mistakes with distribution. But he's, his distribution is so good as well, Ramsdale. So... Um, Feeling good about him, feeling worried about Leno, and then Suarez have, have never known what what the hell we're, we're, we're doing there. But let's just let's just pray uh, every night for Tommy Asu to stay fit. Johnny, um, I, I think you'll probably have exactly the same opinion on Ramsdale and Leno and Tommy Asu and Cedric. Was there any other backup tonight that that worries you um, outside the obvious ones? Um. Yeah, I mean, if obvious ones we're talking about, you know, I, I'm still not convinced by Nketiah as a, a backup option at striker for a number of games. I think 
we'd run into a hell of a lot of pro- problems with that as a um, as a proposition. Even though obviously our goals have come from Martinelli and stuff, as you guys clearly heard me say, I think Lacazette adds so much that Eddie and Ketty simply wouldn't be able to do. But also, if I was to say another guy, I, I, Rob Holding, right? <laughs> like it wasn't long. It wasn't. It hasn't been a long time since we were sitting here going, Rob Holding's our best defender. He's a guy who's going to give you 100 every week. And and I don't think we were wrong in that assertion that he, you know, tries. He'll give you 100% every week. But I think it is kind of, it is demonstrable now that both Gabriel and Ben White are not only individually better, they are far better as a combination than any combination that Rob Holding and uh, either one of those two could match up. I think that, he just is nowhere near as comfortable with the ball at his feet when he's trying to play out. There was a couple of times he just gave the ball away, trying to pay, play fast, which one of the things that you've definitely got to look at in terms of what Arteta has been asking the players to do, which has absolutely clearly been starting to you know uh, bear some fruit, is playing out from the back. We are so much quicker now. Even Leno today was forced into trying to be quicker because he knows that the blueprint is what Ramsdale does. And this guy's doing one-touch passing, looking like one of the best natural footballers on the team. And so Leno's like, I have to up it. And when Rob Holding was trying to up his distribution and his play on the ball to that of what Gabriel and Ben White have been putting out in recent weeks, he simply struggled. He doesn't look capable of doing it. And so do I think that we would have a season in disarray if Holding came in for one or two games? Absolutely not. He's, you know, he's competent at most of these levels. He still has young Diego Costa in his pocket um, from all those years ago. Uh, so we know that at his best, he can play you know, a very high standard. But he just does not look anywhere near either of those two. And I think moving forward, you know, when we talk about next year, you know I'm going to mention his name once more. With Saliba, hopefully on his way back next year, I'm not sure that Rob Holding will be any form of long-term solution at Arsenal, just current, based on current form. Yeah, I've got to agree with you there, Johnny. I think the the, the season that William Saliba is getting, you know, his ups and his downs, and he's mostly ups, the, you know, the low amount of goals that Marseille have conceded, they might, they might finish top three this season, and that would be an exceptional achievement. I don't think there's really an argument Arteta can make as to why he wouldn't have him back in the squad next season. He's obviously a much better player um, than Rob Holding, and I think that They'll just, you know, that that will be a, a good opportunity, Matt, for Arsenal to demonstrate that they can sell players because Rob Holding could easily get a move to any Premier League club, uh, you know, eighth and below. Um, so he would be a saleable asset. We did tie him down to a, a longer term deal. So can we just sell our second team to Newcastle now in, in January <laughs> and just just give them give them all of them? We just get give them give them do a do a flash sale. I mean, yeah, I know but... you said earlier, Matt, when you were like, oh, 30 million for Pepe. I'm sorry, if it's Newcastle, I'm looking for 40 straight up. Because I'm like, you got. we know you've got money. And how many of these players you want to sign are going to come to you? Certainly, you know, at, at short notice, 40 million. Thank you very much. Too, I reckon Marmy. we just do Eddie, Pepe, Rob Holding. Sports Direct mug. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bundle it all in. <laughs> and uh, do it for, you know, 75 million all in. There you go. Yeah, probably a, a Ford Escort as well, <laughs> cut and shut. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna end on a on a, a non uh, Arsenal topic, but more of a football one in general. 
um, the the ground was fairly empty um, for a for a quarter final of an easy game with a team that's doing really well at the moment. Um, COVID is ripping through the country. Do you think that the lack of people showing up today was um, preserving Christmas? Or do you think that this is the sign of things to come and people are going to um, self-lockdown and try and stay out of danger? Uh, Johnny and Matt, what are you thinking? Are you going to be heading into the ground post-Christmas or is it uh, tapping out for the time being? I definitely think, you know, in terms of UK um, kind of uh, health, public health approach, um, I think that everyone is on red alert because of Christmas. So it's a special time where, you know... I, both myself and the number of people that I know, most people I know, pretty much locked down for the for the next week because we're trying to make sure that we're as, give ourselves the best chance of having a Christmas after one that we didn't have last year. But I do think that once Christmas Day's over and I wake up with that hangover on Boxing Day, the rules change. And that, well, they may actually change by government <laughs> imposed restrictions, but... And for my opinion, having had my booster, I would be more willing to get out there and get involved. Every, you know, I, I don't, I'm not encouraging anyone to take unnecessary risks, but ultimately I do believe you should be trying to get out and, you know, uh, persevere with life as much as possible. Uh, but the problem comes in as to whether those um, restrictions, you know, prohibit you from doing certain things. But I basically think that the the, the stands will be full if that people are not being told that they can't go because and I think that currently it's a perfect storm in the current moment I should say it's a perfect storm with people just wanting to see their loved ones at Christmas after one that they didn't get to go to last year. Matt Candela um what's your view what's your take? Um look I think um I think it'd be wise for for the club to put in some rules to make people feel comfortable one of the things that I noticed when I was looking at people in the stands was that no one was even wearing masks. So um, that just seems like, just seems to me to be crazy. And I know it's outdoors, but you're outdoors next to someone two inches away from you screaming and you know how transmissible this is. So I think there's a couple of things the club could do. I think they could say, we insist that you wear masks at all times. People, Some people aren't going to do it, but what can you do? I think they could give everyone an Arsenal mask to wear when they go in. I think you could say um, no hanging out in the concourse. Unfortunately, you like you like like try and try and try and reduce that as much as possible. Again, you can't stop people if they're going to have to. But I think just taking some of those measures will make people feel like at least there's something that people are doing to try and ensure that they're a little bit safer doing something that they love, even small things, and even just reminders of 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 what could what could be done. Um, I was surprised. I thought that the game on the twenty eighth would probably get would probably get cancelled because it does feel like. I mean, Pete, you were just talking about it's not even as much the game; it's the tube to the game, and everyone's packed in, and no one's wearing a mask, and it's like, you know, everyone's everyone's getting COVID going there. So, um, I think we're all just so fed up after so long of 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 of, of all these restrictions. So, you know, it's 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 difficult. So. In short, the rambling answer is I think people should be free to go, but I think people should also, once they've made the decision to go, be mindful of behaviour once you're there so that people with a lower tolerance of risk can still go and enjoy themselves. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree 
uh, with Johnny on whether people will go back. I think people will go back. You know, I've been talking to a few people and they're just like, especially Arsenal fans, because they're, you know, what I heard a story that the Arsenal fans on the Leeds train on the way, one of the carriages, they all caught COVID off the back of it. And I've heard lots of stories about 15 people going to a restaurant and 10 of them getting COVID. I got COVID and I gave it to everybody instantly. And I think that there's a little bit of us that's like, just let's just get it, just get it and, and move on. It's it's if you're double jabbed or whatever, it's it is not that bad, even though I sound like shit. Um, and we've got to move on with our lives. But um, I, I, I kind of wish Arsenal would do um, a little bit more because they certainly don't on the London Underground. And there are a lot of extremely selfish people on those tubes. You just can't believe it. You're like, like even if you think that it's that it's mild. Why would you want to catch it? Why would you want to spread it? But the the UK is far worse than anything I've seen in America, and I have been absolutely everywhere. Johnny, are you showing that wine because you think that that is the is the cure for a va- vaccine? Are we having a Joe Rogan <laughs> ivermectin moment here? <laughs> no. Someone in the comments said what they wondered what wine I'm drinking, so I showed them. It's that time of the year. It's yellow label. Get the Riojas out here, you know. So it's not a Malbec. Um, and I'm certainly not suggesting that a fine Rioja will be a cure to the Omicron variant or the Delta. No, not at all. Um, you know, I think you're bang on, bang on the money, Pete. And I think that the only the only thing, you know, look, we're, we're not experts and stuff. We're just giving our opinions based on our, our own experience and, you know, what we've learned about the virus as well. But all I would say is with Omicron, it seems a little bit more like it's highly virulent much more likely to spread. But on the whole, at this stage, it's believed that the effects are going to be less severe if you do go on and get it. So, you know, I'm hoping that you and your family stay safe. Um, But ultimately, I think that if there are restrictions to come, that game on the 28th that you were talking about, Matt, I definitely still think will go ahead. The Premier League are very, you know, urgently pushed to get all of these games done because there's so many fixtures to get through. But I do think we may see a number of games going behind closed doors for a period of restrictions. We've already seen it coming in in Scotland. So don't be surprised if, you know, coming down in short order, we see a few games behind with no fans. Um, I did. I didn't want to actually end this. This is the last podcast before Christmas. I didn't want to end it on a miserable one. Um, So I'm just going to hit one last question because um, somebody's quoted Matt Candela. He's like a business guru out here. He's my business guru. He's the person that I go to if ever I have a problem in business because he always sorts it out because he's amazing. Um, so Major General's um, asked us for an Arteta assessment because it is two years. And he said, what is it that Matt Candela quote again? Fail fast, fix fast, move forward. Um, so uh, it's been two years. There's an interesting stat doing the rounds since last Boxing Day. Um, only one team has got more points than us in the in the Premier League. Uh, Manchester City, 25 more points. I think we've got the same amount of points as Chelsea in that time period. Um, we've had some ups and downs this season and we've been together on the podcast all together. Um, question for both of you. Can we trust the process now? What do you think? Well, I mean, I was shocked by that result, by the, by the number of points we've got this year. And I think we were trying to figure out where it got skewed. And I think it was that run at the end of last season where we won five on the bounce when we were confined to like 14th in the league or something. And we clambered up to about eighth. Well, most a lot of other clubs had down tools and basically given up for the year. So I think, it, I think you know, we often skew the data for our own positive stories. And I think that's an example of where the data is, has definitely helped us. Because bear in mind, Chelsea in that time 
brought in a new coach and won the Champions League um, and, and completely revolutionised the way they play. So um, I don't think it tells all the stories, but I think, you know, we were on our knees a year ago. We were heading into Boxing Day when one of the worst, we were in a death spiral. Um, and then Smith Rowe came in uh, and we've, we've, we've recruited well in the summer. So you have to, after a year of what we've seen, I, I, you have to trust the process. <laughs> I don't know we keep saying it. I know it's been used in so many different ways, but I am trusting the process. I don't, I don't love Mikel Arteta is the truth. I don't, he, he can be, he's a little, a little unlikable um, for, for my own personal taste, but He's what we need at this moment in time. He is he is creating a, a, a shift in culture. And at the moment, he has earned the right to see it through to the end of the season and then see how we go. It's going to be a funny situation because, you know, he's only got a year extension after the end of this season. So we're going to have to make a decision on his future, I think, in the next eight weeks. You're not going to because... want to leave it all the way to the summer. I think you're going to want to get it done done earlier than that. Because um, so... I tell you, Barcelona will come knocking if Javi doesn't work <laughs> out. You know they will. If they they hired Ronald Koeman, you think that they're they're above Mikel Arteta? No chance. So yeah, I'm I'm trusting the process, Johnny. Uh, Johnny, well, you've been in and out of this process, but you're I... that smile and that red wine that red wine smile you've got going on there. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the UB forties, and uh, you know it's uh, look. Um, it... <sighs> It's, it's, a, it's a tricky one. In many ways, I'm, I'm in a very similar boat to what Matt is in terms of, I think that we were coming from a very difficult place. I probably was the most outspoken critic of him on this podcast, certainly, uh, if not on a lot of podcasts, in terms of saying I think that openly thought he should be sacked. Um, I thought he'd earned it last year. I don't think he could have had any complaints about that. And I don't think that it is... You know, I don't th- see this is the thing when you appraise Arteta. I think there are still people who are somewhat dug into their entrenched positions and they can't get off it. And they also see that us moving as a forward as a club is either going to prove or disprove their points. Like football's dynamic, it changes and you can change your standpoint. You know, if, if we were going Arteta in, Arteta out week by week all the time, of course, that might seem a little bit volatile and stuff. But I think that. Ultimately, opinions are formed based off of, off of what is happening on the pitch. And I just think that anyone who tries to talk about Arteta like we didn't, we haven't been patient with him is, is just not paying attention. This guy has taken us to the worst, <laughs> worst start to a season in 50 years. He has had us in our worst you know, finish in 25 years. And I only say that, I'm not trying to bang on him right now. I'm just trying to say that, like... It's not like he's just copped some really unfair criticism. He's earned the criticism. He has. That being said, I said that whilst I thought that you know he'd earned the sack, if they were going to stick with him, these are the benchmarks. These are the targets that we need to hit for us to feel like we're in any way progressing as a club and being able to you know start dreaming further ahead of being able to achieve bigger targets and. For the checkpoints that I was wanting Arteta to hit in his side, I think we are starting to achieve them. I do. I'm seeing attacking coherency. I'm seeing a, a, an identity going forward. Players that were used to beat Arteta with, including by myself, are starting to be either reintegrated into their team, Martinelli, case in point, who looks like 
our best player as of right, you know, right now. Um, there are other players who have come into the team and, you know, we we had previously been like, oh, why is that player not playing well like Obama Yang? Oh, is that Arteta? And now I think everyone kind of understands that it may be the setup that Arteta's playing him in, but Aubameyang's been poor for a while now, and it's not all down to Arteta. And so, for me, if he can keep us in fourth, he has—he certainly has to. He's earned the right to stay for the rest of the season. But if he keeps us in fourth, he's got every right to turn around and go. Listen, I think I've had ups and downs during the early years of my career, but appreciate that I'm starting out. But I'm now achieving big results in terms of. Um, you know, what I'm dishing out right now. And I think that is something that we can all get behind. So, uh, and I'll just say this as well. There's one other point. Um, I can't, um, I cannot overstate the importance of the summer transfer window for Arteta's tenure and my view of him. Because he was getting into a stage in terms of why I would say, look, we might as well just get rid of him. It's not going to happen. Where it starts to become a case where you're going to need something extraordinary to get yourself out of this situation. And when you're not even seeing decent, you're like, he's not going to suddenly flip it and do an outrageous thing. One of the outrageous things is you're just going to need to sign five players and they're all going to need to be wicked, but that's not going to happen. Uh, guess what? It's, it's just happened. So, you know, you have to look at it and go, he's been involved in that transfer window and it's been an excellent one. So based off of that, the way that we're playing... And the fact that we suddenly look a lot more potent right now, I think it's, you know, it's thumbs up. And quite frankly, if you want to put it in that term, I don't like it considering all things that happen. But I am starting to at least, yeah, trust the process a little bit. And I certainly want to see a little bit more uh, in terms of where we might go with this. Yeah, I, I love those. I love those comments. My my one comment on the on the whole thing is that um, I think that maybe as fans we were all a little bit naive about what it, what what a big turnaround project Arsenal was. Um, I think when you when you work in a business and you're trying to turn around things, uh, you clear the decks. Things get a lot worse, and then they they tick up. And if you've hired the right people, put the right processes in place, things get better um, a lot quicker than they would have done. And I think we had a pandemic. We had a, a worse problem than we imagined. It took longer to get rid of certain players. Um, and the disruption that those big names were causing in the dressing room, I don't think we really got the full force of quite how bad they were. Um, but you're right. I think, you know, a year without a summer without Railwall, when we make six massive signings um, that can all play the way that Arteta wants to. And he lent into youth. And everyone's behind it now. There's a clear vision. Um, we're starting to see clear signs that the football um, l- looks like the sort of football that Arsenal fans need. And I think most people are behind him. You know, he might not be a Jurgen Klopp-like charismatic character that we want to get behind, but whatever he's doing, these young players are signing up for. Um, so I think we're going to go from strength to strength now. And I, I hope that as we move out into the back half of the season, we don't have to keep on having these Arteta out conversations. It's been a full calendar year of being, you know, the, the second best team in the Premier League for points. That is extreme consistency, you know, and the, the COVID outbreak that we had at the start of the season, other clubs are getting passes for far less. So I think there's a lot to look forward to. Top four isn't a stretch goal now. Top four is a genuine objective. Are we better than Man United and Spurs? 
can we catch Chelsea? And I think they're all they could all be possibilities if this team makes the same jumps that the team made last December. So all to play for in the second half of the season. Um, um, I'm glad that we spent the year chatting together. I mean, John, it's almost a year since you came on the podcast. Everything's gone from strength to strength. Matt, um, it's been great to get you on all the time. Um, so I just want to say as we head into Christmas, thank you uh, to you both. It's been amazing uh, having these ups and downs with you, um, despite not being in the stadium. So thanks to you both. You're incredible. Cheers, Pete. Yeah, no, it's been an absolute wicked year. And, um, you know, I think our fates might be somewhat intertwined with Arsenal. Unlike some other fan outlets, uh, we may go from strength to strength when the team's actually winning. Some pe- many people have commented that shows after big wins are better than the ones when, when we've um, struggled. So, you know, who knows? Fan opinion uh, media that is based off of positivity is another idea. We'll see if it works. Exactly. Yeah. And that is a fact. More people come to the show when we're winning than when we're losing. And that is uh, good times. Matt, thank you uh, as ever. Um, So we will be back on the whistle for um, our Boxing Day special against Norwich. Have a great Christmas. Stay safe and stay COVID free. Ciao for now. Ciao for now. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network.